relational side. You know what I mean? So it says, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. We're acceptable to God and we're what? Whoa. Always got to bring this up. And this has nothing to do with what we're going to preach on, but, well, I guess it does. But approved by men, I like that because we talk so much about persecution and so much about how the world's going to hate us. But the word says that Jesus grew in favor with God and with who? Man. Man. How are we going to save the world if we don't have favor with them? And approved by men, if we serve Christ in righteousness, peace, and join the Holy Spirit will be acceptable to God and approved by men. That's some good news right there. I like being approved. I like favor. That's right. So this all started when I was just going about my day, and I heard, you are to reign in righteousness. And I was like, yes, I'm reigning in righteousness. But then I went to my definition of righteousness, which is what most people think, right standing with God. And I was like, uh, doesn't make sense to me. I'm supposed to reign in right standing with God. I mean, it kind of does, but uh, then all these scriptures started hitting me. How God reigns in righteousness. God reigns in my right standing with him. And when John went to when Jesus went to John the Baptist to be baptized, he said, it's important that we do this so that we fulfill God's righteousness. So I'm like, so that we fulfill my right standing? Well, that doesn't make sense to me. So I started to, to ask questions. What does righteousness mean to you? What does righteousness mean to you? And most everybody was coming back with right standing with God. So as we go, does anybody have a different definition of righteousness? Besides our group who's heard us teach on this for four weeks. Besides right standing with God, does anybody have a definition for righteousness besides right standing with God? Nobody? All right, so that's our launching point. But that's, he, we do a lot of communication through Marco Polo, and that's what he was asking, and that's what everybody said is right standing with God is the, basically the sole definition even going through Bible school, that we, they taught was the definition of righteousness. So that led us on this journey that's been about a month long now of what is the kingdom? You know, what is righteousness, what is peace, and what is joy? So, Yeah, we're finding that in order to walk in kingdom, you've got to understand what righteousness is because it all hangs on righteousness. So what is righteousness? Let's get nerdy for a second. The Greek for righteousness is as it ought to be. The condition acceptable to God, approved by God, integrity, virtue, purity of life, righteousness, corrective, correctness of thinking, feeling, acting. And then you go to the Hebrew, which is justice, what is right, prosperity. What? Yep, it's tied into it, prosperity. And then you go to the Hebrew root word, it's right, upright, fair, equal, accurate, correct, impartial, and just. So I started getting this picture. 
But then I started looking up every single scripture I could find on righteousness, right? Every single one. How it was used, what it was meaning in the sentence. And this is what I've come to. I feel like this is from the Holy Spirit. That righteousness is three words put in one. It's God's intent. It is God's desire. And it is God's heart. So whatever it is, it's God's intent, God's desire, and God's heart. So if I'm to reign in righteousness, as the Holy Spirit told me where to do, the way I reign in righteousness is I know his intent, I know his desire, and I know his heart, and I walk forward in that. When Jesus went to John and said, baptize me, and John said, I can't do that. You're the son of God. I can't. Who am I to baptize you? And Jesus said, it's important that I that you baptize me to fulfill God's righteousness, to fulfill God's heart, to fulfill God's desire in this, to fulfill God's intent for this moment. When the word says that God reigns in righteousness, what's that mean? It doesn't mean that he reigns in right standing with you. It means that he reigns through his intent, through his heart for his situation, through his desire. And so the very definition most of us see is righteousness is included in his desires. His desire was that we became in right standing with him, so what did he do? He sent his son, and his son freely gave his life for every one of us. So his heart, his desire, and his intent as free as much includes that definition of right standing as everything else we're covering. So it doesn't neglect what we've been taught. We're saying that's just part of God's desire for us is that we are in right standing with him, so that we can eat the fruit of the land. Right. So you go to man, first man, Adam. God's intent for man. Adam walked righteous before he even knew what good and evil was. Before he even knew what right and wrong was, Adam walked righteous. Our knowledge of what is good, walking good is not righteous. If, if that makes any sense. I, it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but you got to hear me out on this. So Adam knew the father's heart and the father's desires. And we see that when, when, the Satan, uh, when the serpent went to Eve, she told him, no, the father's heart is that we don't eat of this tree. But then it says that she saw that the tree was desirable. She knew God's desire but she went with an opposite desire. Before they knew what good and evil was, they were just fulfilling God's desires. So what I'm trying to say is, good, you doing good is not a righteous act. You fulfilling the Father's heart is a righteous act. And the same way with unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is not so much doing bad. Unrighteousness and it sounds like I'm splitting hairs, so stay with me for a little bit. But unrighteousness is based on the Father's desire. It's based on you not fulfilling the Father's desire. Here's a good example. You go to Romans 14. It says that anything not done of faith is sin. It doesn't say anything you do bad is sin. It says anything not done by faith is sin. So... When you go through that chapter, it's talking about what to eat, what not to eat. Is it right to eat meat? Is it not right to eat meat? And God's saying, 
It's not even about that. Yeah, it's okay if you eat meat. And, and it's okay if you don't eat meat. It's not about what's okay to eat. Yeah, it's right. The issue is, if you're causing your brother the sin, that's, that's the issue. So, if you eat meat, let me get my thoughts together on this. If, if, here's the deal. If you, Reggie, is arguing with me. No, sir, you're not supposed to eat pork. And I'm like, no, I could eat pork all I want. God said that I could eat whatever I want. And so we start having an argument. And God steps in and says, what are you arguing about? It's not even about what's right and wrong. It's about what my heart is in this situation. And my heart is, I don't care if it's good or bad. If eating meat is going to cause your brother to sin, that's my heart. That's where you step out of line. So it's not about good versus evil. It's about what God's desire is. That's what righteousness. And, and catch us with this. Because what we're preaching, what we're talking to you about this morning, it is the key to life. The Bible says that he gives you the keys to the kingdom. And this is what I see as one of the biggest keys. It's the one that opens the front door. There's many other doors in there, but this is the key to the front door, righteousness. And if you don't understand righteousness, we can't walk in kingdom as we should. So I give this example. Do you have something to say? And so we'll do your example with Adam. Okay. We, so, we've, we've got used to doing this back and forth. So yeah. you do your example, then I'll give my So I have this example with my son Adam. I wake up one morning. I see that the yard is just full of weeds, so I get my weed killer out, and I spray that yard with weeds. And if you know anything about spray, it soaks into the blades of the grass. So it needs time to do that. So I spray the yard. I spent $50 on this yard, sprayed it, and I go to work. Adam wakes up 30 minutes later, and he's like, man, the yard looks ragged. I'm going to go out and mow it. And he goes and he mows the yard. Oh, I think that'll, that'll please my dad. So he goes and he mows it. And I get home, and I'm like, who mowed the grass? I just, that was just wasted time for me. Waste of money, waste of time. So I go in, and I was like, what would you do? He's like, well, I thought it would make you happy. I mowed the yard. I'm like, brother, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but you didn't seek my heart. You didn't come ask me if it would be okay. And my heart is that, you know what, let's wait till tomorrow. That way you give time for that chemicals to soak in and kill the grass. So what he thought would be good ended up not being a good decision. He was making the decision based on his knowledge of what is good and evil instead of his father's heart. And that's what we do. Instead of seeking the father's heart and doing what he tells us to do, we make our decision based on our knowledge of what is good for that day. I have these confessions that I do every day, the blessings of the, of the, of the law. I love Deuteronomy 28. I love the blessings of the law. And I noticed something the other day I've never noticed before. It's if you keep my commandments and what I command you this day. There's scriptures. It tells us God's heart. But there's also this part. He, he knows my overall rules. But he still has to come to me each day saying, hey, Dad, what do, what do, you, what do we got today? What's going on today? I know what I want to do, but what do we want to do? And to illustrate, look, 
add on to that. We got to realize as much as our our hearts are for our natural kids, his heart for us is even greater than that. He wants he you're never alone. You're never forsaken. You're never abandoned. His righteousness for us is that we seek him in everything. There's not a part of my life that God does not want to be a part of. He wants to be so entwined that as I step, it's him. And as he steps, I follow him so much. And that's what Serge is really bringing out. It's his desire. His desire is that every one of us fulfill what he's called for us today. Me and him, we have different calls every day during the week. You know, every one of you, you're going to have what your job's different. That is where you're called. So for you to try to model what I do or what he does in your workplace looks different. So when you're seeking the Father's heart, what are you seeking? What's your heart for me today? Where is my impact? Where am I to serve to be a part as we go? And so the story I have to illustrate what righteousness is compared to good versus evil is it's actually in 1 Kings 3, 16 through uh, 28. But it's Solomon with the two ladies that lost, the one lost the son. And so am I right to touch one of your swords? So to illustrate this, and I think he's been waiting for this one. <laughs> touch that sword. Just to touch it. So Solomon, he's in front of the people, and they, the two women come. There's one living baby. One had lost her child. And so security, I'm not going to do anything, so you don't got to come get me. But literally, if in this day and age, if I said, all right, this is how we're going to judge it. Bring the baby. We're going to cut it in half, and you each get one half. That seems like a really, really bad idea, doesn't it? Like, if I were to do that right now and there was a baby, one of you guys sitting back there is not going to let me split that child. Seems really, I'm going to say, not smart. But what happened? Solomon, in his wisdom, the mom's child has said, I'd rather the child live than to be killed and to be. So what did Solomon do? In our natural mind, was that smart to pull out a sword over, over top of a child? Everyone here is going to say no. But what happened? Solomon knew the righteous way to find out who the true mother was, was to do that. Because the one that was in grief, grief will make you do crazy stuff. Say, split the child. I could care less because she already lost hers. But that righteous decision that Solomon brought forth by bringing the sword in that child revealed the true heart. So that's how if you look at righteousness, it's not a matter of good or bad. It's what's the heart's desire. How do we bring forth God's desire on this earth? So that's good. So I started seeing three things with righteousness. And hear me out. There are some of us that have gone our whole lives as Christians and it's like this. It's hit and miss. Nothing's coming together. It's real messy then it's really good, then it's really messy, and it's just like roller coaster, it's all over the place, nothing's hit and miss, it's just, it's just bad. But if you can catch this, your, your world will produce nothing but life. It will produce nothing but life. Because the Bible says where righteousness is, there is no darkness at all. The problem is we keep trying to make our decisions based on what we think is good, but we need to be starting to go to the Father's heart. Lord, what, what do you want? I know, I know what I want for my marriage, but what do you want? I know what my intent for this $10 in my pocket is. I'll give five of it. That's good. 
and then I'll spend five more at Quick Trip. But, but his intent might be, no, spend it all in Quick Trip for, on yourself. Or it may be, no, give $8 to Jason. Like we have to get his heart on what it is. So what, going through the scriptures, I saw that there were three aspects to righteousness. And this is key to walk as we should. This is how Adam had to walk. It's who we are. Righteousness is who we are. My kids, they're a DeRosa. It is who he is. He can't change that. He was born into the family. He can go act like a Heidinger all he wants, but he's not a Heidinger. He's a DeRosa. He'll always be a DeRosa, whether he acts like it or not. It's who he is. It's at the core of who he is. And we've been born into the kingdom of God, and we are righteousness. And that's the first step. The first thing of understanding righteousness is that this is who I am. It's at the core of who I am. And it's not because of me. It's because of Jesus. I'm there because of him. It's who I am. And who you are, he's using his natural child. But we have to understand who we are. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. First and foremost, I am a son of the Most High. That trumps any of my natural affiliations. Because what's the scripture say? He knew us before we were even conceived. We were his creation. He brought life to us. He brought animation to this body just as he did Adam. So we got to realize that who we are is first a son and daughter of him. No matter what your title is, we are first a son and daughter. That's who I am. I am Jason Heidinger, but first I'm Jason, the son of the Most High King. And that's where my identity needs to be rooted. Not in anything that I've done or will do. It's in him. And we have to have that be our foundation of righteousness is who you are in Christ. Yeah, the second aspect is what you are. It's the image and likeness. You are made in the image and likeness of God. So it's not only who I am, it's what I am. God reigns in righteousness. God reigns. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I am. He reigns through me because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and God reigns in righteousness. So it's, I'm, I am, let's put it this way, Jesus knew who he was. He was righteousness. And Jesus knew what he was, that he was made in the image and likeness of God, that he was a display of God's righteousness. And it's the reason Jesus could say, when you see me, you see the Father. And every one of us in here should be able to say, when you see me, you see the Father. When I go to the Walmart, when they see me, they, de they see a display of God's righteousness. I'm made in his image and in his likeness. And the third aspect is how you are. It's who you are. It's what you are. I am righteous. I display righteousness, and I walk in righteousness. I reign in righteousness. And what's that mean? That's what we've been saying. It's, God, what is your heart, your desire, and your intent? That's the way I'm going to walk. That's how I'm walking this out. That's how I'm going to live my life. And when you live your life like that, it won't be messy. It won't be all over the place. It won't be hit and miss with the blessings of God. You'll be walking in that shalom of God constantly, which is the next step. Righteousness leads to peace. 
But before we get there, if we were to boil down God's desire for us in one word, what would you pick that one word to be? It's four letters long, starts with the L. Love. His heart, his desire, his intent is love for you. That you can boil down righteousness is his desire for every one of you that you have and you understand the love of God that's for you. Because a lot of people, when we come to righteousness, I can say, I believe God, he loves you, he heals you, he blesses you, but you don't know what I did. So I'll allow God to believe that you're righteous, and you're righteous, but will he do it for me? That's where a lot of people struggle with understanding righteousness and the goodness of God, is it's for everybody else. It's, no. God's righteousness, God's desire, his love is for every one of you. It's equal for every one of you. But will you allow that righteousness to reign in you? Will you allow your identity to become who he says? Are you looking at the mistakes? Maybe your family history, what happened? But will you truly let the love of God be for you? Because I've did that a lot. Man, I can believe for other people. But when it comes to myself, I struggle more there. And a lot of people do. They struggle in believing it's for me. We're excited to lay hands on the sick, pray for all this. But we're walking through stuff because I believe he'll minister through me, but he won't take care of me too. Been there, telling myself right now. But the righteousness of God, the love of God, is for you. That way when you walk in that, it's an overflow that you're giving to others. You're not giving out of your need. You're giving out of the overflow. So you have to receive righteousness for you before you'll be fully able to bring peace and joy to the other people. So when we walk in righteousness, when we don't walk in what we think is good, when we walk in God's heart, God's intent, God's desire, it produces life. It brings manifestations of whatever your need may be. It's, it brings provision. And that's what peace is. Proverbs 11.30 says this. The fruit of righteousness, the fruit of you walking in righteousness, and walking in who you are and what you are, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. Righteousness produces life. It produces fruit. It produces abundance. We saw one of the root words. It produces prosperity. We're not just talking about money in every area. When there's righteousness involved, there's no dry land. When there's righteousness involved, there's no 120-degree weather killing off our fields. When the earth eagerly awaits for the manifestations of the sons of God, the earth is waiting for us to walk as we should. Because when we walk as we should, it brings forth life. Life comes through us walking through in righteousness. Life comes through us walking according to God's intent, desire, and heart for this day, for this situation. Proverbs 12, 28 says this, In the way of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. There's no death when righteousness is, is on the scene. Righteousness produces peace. And Jason could go into that. So, as we were going through the scripture, we were really studying what is kingdom. So we started on righteousness. 
So what is peace? So according to the Webster's Dictionary, it's a state of tranquility or quiet, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. So a lot of people look at peace and we're like, it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. It's that, it's that peace that comes from the spirit. Because we've got to realize we are three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit. So this dictionary, the definition of the dictionary talks about what? Our soulish realm. The Greek, the word era, talks about prosperity. When there's peace, and the word in Hebrew, shalom, but there's security, there's safety. There's oneness, there's peace, there's quietness, there's rest. And we, as we're talking about righteousness, peace, and joy, we got to realize these aren't just spiritual principles that are for when we go to heaven. These principles of righteousness, peace, and joy, they affect my spirit, they affect my body, and they affect my soul. As a good parent, I want the best for my kids in all aspects, don't I? God, when you start studying the finished work of the cross, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, it was a spiritual work, but it also affects my mind, will, and emotions, and it also affects my body. So that's where the Greek word for peace, it's prosperity, it's security, it's safety. And then the Hebrew shalom. And if you've ever had people that are of Jewish faith, they'll, they'll say shalom when they come in, and they'll say shalom when they go out. And when you start studying, you understand when they're saying that, they're pronouncing a blessing on that house when they walk in and when they walk out. So the Hebrew word shalom means completeness, wholeness, soundness, wellness, welfare, safety, favor. He talked about a start. You have favor with who? With God and with man. You have health. You have prosperity. You have rest, tranquility. You have friendship. And the friendship is of human relationships and with God, especially in covenant relationships. And then the Hebrew root word, if you look up shalom, the root word for that means to be in a covenant of peace. To live at peace, to cause to be at peace. It means to be complete, to be perfect, to be restored. This isn't something that I'm complete when I pass to heaven. It is a place that we have to start manifesting what he's done for us here on earth. And it's to make whole or to make an end. And so, as you look at that, for me, studying the peace aspect of this, it opened my eyes so much of what really we have. And when you study it, it's not a future tense. It is a thing that we possess now. It's a thing that, as I go, in Ephesians 6, when it talks about the armor of God, what is my feet shelled with? The gospel of peace. So everywhere I touch and I walk, I'm carrying the shalom peace of God into all that. The very part of me that walks on this earth is the very part that he says, I want you to bring peace with everything you do. And it's not a future thing. That's the thought you got to understand. It is a now thing. The peace of God is for today. When you go into a chaotic environment, do you expect your presence to change that environment? Or do you let that environment change you? When we walk in, we all, we all should expect that the chaos ceases 
any powers, principalities, whatever's going on will not be in my presence because we bring the light. We bring righteousness, which brings life. In which What happens when life is brought? Death is dispelled. Yeah, so my favorite way to explain shalom is the peace. I feel like peace is a bad translation for us to understand. Because when we think of peace, we're thinking peace signs and a calmness, and it's part of that. But it's provision. It is straight-up provision. It's the shalom of God. It's the provision in your spirit, provision in your soul, provision in your body, and provision in your world, physical provision. And it's probably the part that I struggle with the most, most was really coming to understand that God cares And I'm still getting over this. God cares just as much about my physical world as he does about my spiritual. Just as much. There's not any scriptures. Most of the scriptures on Shalom are speaking to a physical world. To your everyday life. Him manifesting healing. That's Shalom. Prosperity, providing your needs. That's Shalom. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What's he talking about? Physical things, the clothes on your back, your food. He's talking about shalom. He cares just as much about your physical as he does your spiritual. Not, one doesn't trump the other, but it all starts up here. It all starts in here and comes forth. It doesn't go the opposite way. But I see that shalom is your provision. When we walk in righteousness, God's desire, God's heart, God's intent, for whatever situation we face, it produces the shalom of God in our life. It brings forth provision. Shalom doesn't bring forth righteousness. Righteousness brings forth provision. I like how Bill Johnson talks about how you face these tribulations in life. You face these troubles. But peace, shalom, isn't the absence of a tribulation or a trial. It's the provision within it. Peace, shalom, isn't the absence of the fiery furnace. Peace and shalom is the presence of Jesus that protects you from getting burnt in the fiery furnace. In the book of Acts, it it was prophesied that they were going to have a famine. Peace wasn't the absence of a famine. Peace was the provision, the shalom of God, within the famine, where they didn't go hungry, where they were able to feed everyone around them. That's how God wants us to approach life, through every situation. One of the, my biggest things about Gerald was, I was working in his backyard, and he came out, and he said, you want to hear what I'm preaching this, this Wednesday or, or Sunday? And I was like, sure. And he said, we're always in a hurry to get out of this trial. He was like, we're just going to step right into the next one. And I was like, That's some pretty good wisdom. But we're always in a hurry to get out of it. But the Bible says, count it all joy when you face trials. Why? Because you know there's the shalom of God in it. There's a victory in it. You can't have victory without something to have victory over. Can't be a conqueror if you're not conquering anything. So you learn to enjoy the trial. You learn to enjoy the journey because you know there's something good that's coming out of it. We get to experience the shalom of God in it. And Psalm after Psalm talks about it. A lot of people quoted Psalm 91, Psalm 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear 
know either. Because why? I have the presence of the shalom of God with me. So it doesn't matter. Psalms 91, a thousand fall to my one side, 10,000 on my right side, but it will never touch me. Why? Because it's not the absence of bad stuff. It's that I have the presence of shalom with me. That's the key is it's what you carry. You carry the very image and likeness of God in you. You actually carry the Holy Ghost. He lives and dwells in you. You carry everything you need to live a righteous life, to live a life of peace, to live a life of joy. So that's the exciting part is he didn't do a halfway job. He completed the work. What did Jesus say? It is finished. Study that. What did he left for you to do? Believe and receive. He's not going to finish something that he finished. We're not waiting for something else. Death is not my savior. Jesus is. A lot of people make death the point where I say, I'm going to receive all these things. Those promises, like he said, when you study peace, so many of them are for what? Today. They're for our natural body. So I'm going to walk in what he has given me today. I'm not waiting. He gave us the Holy Spirit and said, I put life in you. Experience it. Become my hands and feet. Manifest the kingdom of God everywhere you go. Share the shalom of God everywhere you go. Yeah, so John 16.33 says this. Says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you will have tribulation and distress and suffering. He's telling you what the world offers. But be a good courage. Be confident. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy. I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. What he's saying is, this is what the world has to offer. This is probably what you're going to encounter but I have peace in it. I've overcome it. There's an answer. You don't have to face it alone. There's a victory. You don't have to like struggle and get hurt and get all beat up through it. I'm going to couple this with 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast your care upon him for he cares for you. I've always looked at that scripture as, I'm just going to cast my cares on God because he cares about it. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying, cast your cares upon me, and he's going to care for it. He's going to tend to it. He's going to take, help you take care of it. He's partnering with you. He's saying, you don't have to do this alone. You have a trial, Stella, but let me, come to me, ask me for wisdom, and I'll start partnering with you and showing you how to walk this out. Basically saying, I'm giving you the righteous answer. Not the answer you think is good, but the righteous answer. And as you walk that out, you'll start seeing the shalom of God manifest, which is that life. Righteousness produces shalom. Righteousness produces life. And I'm telling you, when you see God show up in the middle of a trial or in a storm or in a bad marriage or in some financial problems, it brings the third thing to kingdom, which is joy. Righteousness produces shalom. And the results of shalom of God in your life is joy like you're excited and so he read from the king new king james but if you read it from the passion translation first peter 5 7 it says pour out your worries and stress 
And I'm going to do, because I've done this. You come to the altar, you say, Lord, I give it all to you. You cross this black line, you leave it here. You're like, there's my luggage. You walk back over and say, I got it back. No, because do we really believe that we can put our worries, our stress, our cares upon him and leave them there for he always tenderly cares for you? Amen. I'm one like, okay, Lord, that was, that was good. We, we, we dealt with some things. And about an hour later, I'm still thinking about the same things I cast to him. But we got to remember he always, say always. always. He always. If I give him something and I share it with him, he doesn't pour that back on me. His scripture says his burdens are light. His yoke is easy. So if I give him my words in stress, he gives me his peace in that situation. I don't have to pick it back up because he is a good and faithful father. And he always, always cares for us. Yeah, so the kingdom offers three things. Righteousness, that's the, the foundation of the kingdom. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Every man wants to know that he's going to be right with God when he goes to meet his maker. Every man. I don't care who you are. I, I've experienced people on their deathbed, one in particular, that hated Jesus. I worked with him. And when I went to visit him bef a, a week before he died, that was his main concern. And he was more than ready to get things right. Every man wants to be right with their maker. Nobody wants to go to a place we don't want to go. Second, every man wants peace in their life. Everybody wants to be provided for. Everybody wants to be taken care of. Everybody wants a peaceful life. And then the third thing every man has a desire to have is joy. Every, every person wants to be happy. And God, has, he's provided all three. Righteousness, peace, and joy. He's provided all three for us. So what is joy? We'll hit this one right quick. So joy, we just look at the dictionary, and I love, I actually copied this straight because of what the three words that were in bold, but it's the emotion invoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. So the word they actually put in the dictionary is delight, a state of happiness or felicity, which means bliss, and to experience great pleasure, to rejoice. As we get to the Greek, it simply means cheerful, calm, delight, joy, and gladness. The Greek root word, now this is, to me, being the, the kind of nerdy, the Greek word for joy is the number up there. And the Greek word for grace, they actually, when you're studying in the Strong's, it'll show you the root word. The same root word um, is the word that will grace is keros, and joy is kera. The root word was keros. And it's kind of cool, that joy and grace. Because we all like, man, thank you for the grace of God. It's sufficient for all day. But you know the same root word, the root word for both, means to be cheerful, to be joyful, to be glad, to be well, to rejoice exceedingly, to thrive. When the grace of God's on your life, well, you're thriving, aren't you? He's making dead things alive. And so that same root word produces grace, produces joy. So joy and grace, if you study it, really are very similar words, which was so cool. I don't know, for me, that was so cool to see that the root, the foundation of grace is the same foundation of joy. 
So when I'm talking about the grace is sufficient, you know what I'm saying? The joy is sufficient in my life. He gives me everything I need for today. And that's the righteousness of God manifest in my life. And in the Hebrew, it's just joy, joy of God, gladness, good, glad results, pleasure, glee, rejoice, and happy. And then the Hebrew root word for joy, it's a Hanuman for spinning in a circle or dancing. So it's, it's his joy. I'm going to let you go, but I just wanted to input for a second. That's the joy of the Lord. That's, that's his joy towards us. And I guess I, this, this morning during worship, I seen Gerald grab his wife's hand and kind of just start dancing. And I just smiled because that's just joy. There's a joy when you're singing, you're dancing, you're raising your hand, you're praising the Lord. That's joy. And you're never going to outgrow singing, dancing, and the joy of the Lord that manifests in your life. Never think you're too old to do that. Yeah, the way I, the way I picture this is that righteousness is God's love. Shalom, peace, is God's, it's his expression of his love for you. But joy is God's overflow expression of his love towards us. Like, as a husband, I provide for my wife because I love her. I, I, I bring her groceries home because she's got to eat. I give her a car because she's got you know, to go hang out with the girlfriends. But I do that because I love her. But my overflow expression of my love for her is me nudging her in the morning saying, hey, get up so we can hang out. Like, I'm, I want to hang out with you. Or it's grabbing her hand and dancing in front of the church. Or it's like waking up and going, hey, you want to take a road trip to Memphis? She's like, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. It's an overflow joy of my expression. It's an overflow expression of my love for her. Does that make sense? And that's how God is with us. When you look at the Song of Solomon's, I, I love that book, Song of Songs. You read it in the Passion Translation. It, it words it as if it's a conversation between Christ and his church, Christ and you. And we're saying stuff like, it, it, it shows the bride saying stuff like, I'm dry, I'm lonely, I'm sinful. i have not steward the garden you've put in me very well. I feel lonely, I feel far off. And Jesus' response is, but you're lovely. You're thrilling. You're more than enough to me. That's joy. It's like, I know that you're not completely right, but that's okay. I just want to hang out with you. I just want to love on you. I just want to show my love for you. He not only loves us, he wants to show his love for us. And it's not because he has to. That's, this is joy. It's not because he has to. It's because he wants to. And because of that, because of that joy, you, you happy, you know, you happy wives know, because of that joy, it produces joy back. It's a, it's a cycle. It's awesome. And you'll never experience true joy without understanding your righteousness and shalom. Because as you look here, righteousness is God's desire. It's his love. Peace is God's provision. When you know you're taken care of, you're, you're secure, you're not worrying about the day to stuff. So what happens? 
that's when you can start to really start to pour out. And that's what joy is. God's abundant blessing. That's the overflow expression. So like he was talking about with his wife, and I, I did this the other week and I get myself in trouble, but if my wife's provided for and taken care of, things are good, right? Everybody's happy, they're secure. If I start buying her flowers every week, that's the overflow. Because I don't buy flowers very much. It's doing the things because you love them. It's not because I have to. I don't have to buy my wife's flowers. We've been married, and I've probably bought her flowers 20 times in almost 18 years of marriage. So I'm not doing great on that. But if out of just my expression, and I just pick flowers. It can be whatever your gift language is or whatever. But if I start doing that because I just love her, and I do it not with expectation. When you're just overflowing with peace, you just want to share it. It's that overflow that touches every person. And that's the joy. Because you know people that they're happy one minute, and then they're not. They don't probably have true peace in their life. Because joy is not something that comes and goes. We do have emotions, and you're going to have good days and bad days. But there's just that inward knowing that I'm going to make it. There's never a doubt of doom or gloom that you're not going to make it. When you have the peace of God in your heart, you're able to bring joy wherever you go, no matter the situation. Because Jesus did what? He wept with those that wept. He cried with those, and he brought joy to those that needed it. Because he had an overflow. It didn't matter the situation. He was always there. And the scripture says, though there may be trouble at night, what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. So though we mourn with people, and we might mourn ourselves, we always have that place where joy will be coming forth as we walk through any trial or tribulation. Yeah, and to, and to start shutting this down, because I know some of you guys might be hungry. I know I am. But righteousness produces shalom. The results of shalom is joy, therefore fulfilling the kingdom of God. When you, if you notice how it works in the garden, it talks about this river. And Jesus talks about that river that flows through us, the rivers of living water. It flows out of us into the world. That's a picture of what hap was happening in the garden. It says, from Eden, which when you look that up means paradise, from paradise flows the river of living water, flows a river through the garden. And when you look up the garden, one of the words for garden is bride. From paradise through the bride flows that river. And when that river hits us, it splits off into four ways, north, south, east, and west, and goes out into the world. We're to minister God's righteousness, God's peace, God's joy to the world. But we can't minister it if we don't, if we don't know what it is and if we're not experiencing it in our own lives. So, just to kind of bring this home and to recap, it all starts with righteousness. Righteousness is who you are. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's what I am. I am made in his image and likeness. When you see me, you see the Father. And it's how I am. I walk in righteousness. And because I walk in righteousness, not, not doing good. Here, here's a little thing. I started thinking about how we always talking about stewardship. We're always talking about, you're being a good steward. If I'm a good steward, God will give me more. Mm, that's not what it says. It says if I'm faithful with little, God will give me much. 
what he's saying is, or what I'm saying is, stewardship is can be stewardship can come off as me making good decisions. But I have a sister who made some really good decisions with her job and her stocks, and she lost it all in three days. Good decisions, wise decisions, and she lost it all in three days. Everything, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Righteous decision probably would have been God saying, hey, I think you should probably find another job. Your industry is getting ready to crash in a few days. Good decisions don't always lead to a good place. So we reign in righteousness by what? God, what is your heart? What is your desire? What is your intent? And walking that way produces life. It produces shalom. It produces peace. And we start experiencing the overflow of God. And that's what we give to the world. Righteousness, peace, and joy to the world. And so this is a couple images just of a waterfall. And the reason we bring this out is that is the overflow. I'm going to go to the next one. You see that first part? There's actually a landing if you see the close-up picture. And a lot of us, the first waterfall, the reason we have the double waterfall, that is God pouring into us. And so we all have that option. When he pours into us, are we going to let it overflow to everybody around us? A lot of us are going to go in that river and say, I like what I have. Let me put some rocks here. Let me start building a dam like this. What do beavers do? This is a beaver dam. The crazy part of it is where they dammed it up, what happened behind it? The water got stagnant. It got mucky. Because these gifts that he brings for us, he wants to show you righteousness. He wants to bring shalom in your life so you can express joy to the world. He wants you to be the one that is flowing like this. Where whenever you give, he just keeps pouring into you. He's pouring it out over and over. And as you give more, he keeps pouring out. I never run dry when I'm wandering through that. But when I get selfish, so don't be a beaver in your life. When the Lord pours into you, man, share it. Share what he's given. Share that peace. Share your testimony when you were walking through something. And man, you might not know. Sometimes when you're seeking God's heart on what's right and wrong or what's righteous versus good and bad, he's going to have you do some stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable. He's going to say, my righteous choice for you is to share this testimony in the middle of Walmart. And you're like, Lord, that's a little private. But when you share that, it sets people free. So when we're doing righteousness, good and bad, I'm going to take in my personal comfort into that a lot. I'm going to say, you know, maybe that's good for me, but I'm not going to share it. But, man, it's about, I got to go back. It's about this. It's about letting God fill you so you can fill others. And a good example, if you just had waterfall after waterfall, and you just see it pouring out, and you get to see the person that you poured into, they pour out to the next person. Kind of, he mentioned before the movie Pay It Forward. If anybody ever watched that, I think it came out in the 90s, so I'm dating myself. But what happened? And it, you see it, it always makes the news when somebody does it. They'll go through Starbucks and this person will pay for this one. The next car does it. And I remember the one time they're like, it made it through 360 some cars. And that's just paying it forward. That's when God pours into it and somebody pours into your life, God used that person to pour in your life. 
pour into the next person, and just keep going. And you'll see your life expand. You'll see God put in us stuff that he wants us to express to the very world we're in. And that, my friends, is kingdom. I want to end with this testimony. Jason doesn't even know about this. I heard it this morning. And it was a person that shared our message with someone else in California. And this girl, his sister, has had, she's been a Christian most of her life, but she's been burnt out. And she's, she's at the spot where, you know what, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, and I've got my salvation, but all the rest of it just doesn't work. Healing doesn't work. This, your words, confessing thing, none of that works. It doesn't work for me. And so he's been, she's been helping him through a situation. And in this, she's been seeing how my friend has been navigating and how he keeps talking about, well, I'm, I'm listening for the righteous decision. She's like, well, you got two decisions. He's like, I think I have three. Let me hear from God on this third one. And so he's been, she's been seeing these testimonies come through what he's walking through. So 10 years ago, she had an idea for something with wheelchairs in the medical industry. She had an idea for it, but has grown weary because she always was trying to promote it in a way she thought she should, the good way, and it gone nowhere. And that was one of the key aspects where she says, it just doesn't work for me. And so in hearing him walk in a righteous way, not just a good way, she was inspired to start seeking God. And she went to God and said, this doesn't work for me. And I don't know why. Show me. Oh, she started going to the Father. What is your heart? And she specifically brought up this one. And just this week, she got a phone call from this organization she was a part of. And she never answers this phone call, she said. But she answered it. And they were like, we don't want anything from you. We're just seeing what we can do for you. She's like, well, I, I don't know that you could do. Well, you know what? I do have this idea. She was prompted to tell her, the lady on the phone, her idea. And that lady was blown away. Whoa, you just revealed a gap in the middle, medical industry we didn't even know was there. And you have an answer for it. It's huge. Let me, hold on a second. Let me get someone on the phone. She gets someone else on the phone. Two days later, she gets another call from a, one of the top guys in the medical field saying, what can we provide for you? What kind of money do you need? What do you need to get this going? And they offer, they're offering her jobs now. Just in a week of pursuing God's heart. Not how she thinks she should do it, but how do you want this done, God? And look, boom. Shalom of God already opening up to her in one week. Huge, huge. It's going to change her life forever. That's what God wants. That's how we're intended to walk. We're, we were never intended to walk by our knowledge of what is good and evil. We are intended to walk in relationship with him. That daily, Lord, what do you have for me this day? I need your daily bread. I need to hear from you. I need to walk in life with you. He's not called you to walk alone. But also, he doesn't want to take care of your problems without your involvement either. It's a relationship. He wants to do it with you.
So I'll, I would love to alter to open up the altar before we leave right quick. And just for anyone who, if you're at that spot where you're like, it doesn't work for me. My life's like this, or my life's a mess. I want to see the provision of God. I want to see the shalom of God manifested in my life. Or if you're walking through a trial or a tribulation, and you're like, I need God to show up. I need that wisdom that he says, that direction. Because I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I do not see a victory in it. If that's, with you, if that's you, I'd like to open up this altar. We'll pray with you. We'll minister a little bit. Will you guys sing a song to close this out?